Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. All right, it's my pleasure to introduce one of our local market specialists in the Indianapolis market. And Michael is one of our partners. We've been working with him for many, many years. In fact, it goes back to about 2008. And he has been buying, rehabbing, and selling turnkey investment properties in the indie market since 2008. And he has bought and sold 600 or maybe even more than 600 homes in that time frame. So I'm glad to have met him a long time ago. We've had a great working relationship. And so I'm going to welcome Michael to the show. Thank you, Marco, my friend. It's uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, obviously, you and I both are passionate about what we do, and we like to um, you know, help our investors out. Uh, I, don't, I, I think your numbers are probably about the same as mine. You know, we're close to about 65, 75% of our businesses repeat and referral business. So uh, glad to be a part of the team. Yep. And that's, that's almost spot on. So yeah, it's great having you here. I've been wanting to do a, uh, a market spotlight on the indie market for a while now. Um, this is our third one and we'll probably do one for every single market, but indie is, is a popular market. It's what I call a perennial market. We always get interest in it because it's one of those linear markets. It doesn't go up and down like the coastal markets of the U S so Michael, tell us, um, you know, how you got involved in real estate. I always like to start off with a little bit about, you know, you and, and your background so people get a perspective and a context of where you're coming from. Wow, thanks. I didn't, uh, I, that's a great, great way to start. I, I actually, my background is in the stock market. I enjoy trading stocks and options. Um, I, 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 I love it. I, I just really enjoy, you know, either developing passive income or structuring passive income for myself. And as as fate would have it, uh, my story is is uh, hopefully uh, new and not familiar to you. Uh, when I was 31 years old, my dad passed away, and um, my mom needed a steady source of income that didn't rely on the stock market or any other you know investments. And at that time, I think I had oh I can't remember I think five or six homes at the time, and and my stock market investments would go up and down, and a, a few of my other things were spotty at best. And then my Indianapolis real estate was just pretty consistent. It wasn't, you know, it didn't double in value in a, in a year or two, but all they did is send me, send me checks every single month. And that's really what my mom needed and wanted. So I come from the point of being in, an, I had done in deals in about five different states, but my holdings and my consistent cash flow came from the Indianapolis market. So with that, uh, exp you know, positive experience underneath my arm, I decided to, uh, build a company that was focused, uh, built by investors for investors, as I like to say, um, in, in that area. And it's, it's gone, it's gone uh, gangbusters ever since. Yeah, that's great. And you, you do put out great product. And I think that was a very smart decision to make that shift away from paper assets like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and into hard assets like income producing real estate. And especially today, I mean, I don't need to tell you how erratic and volatile the markets are. And, and frankly, they're quite scary. So I think this year and next year, you know, we'll probably see more and more people pull out of those markets and invest into more stable and secure investments that, you know, make a lot more sense. And I can't think of a better investment than real estate. Can you? Well, no, but also I, in, in echoing that, it, it's kind of like, you know, there, I think there is a place for the, you know, stocks. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, somebody might let their grandma may have left them Ford stock and they'll never sell it or something like that. We do that in the Midwest, it seems. But here's the bottom line is 
is what are you going to do to replace your, you know, six figure income? So if you need your 10 or 20 grand a month to live on or whatever your number may be, where's that going to come from? You know, um, so that's really what I, when I talk to investors they're they might be in their thirties or forties or fifties or even older. And, and they say, well, listen, I stock market's great, but I, I need a consistent monthly income, not based on the stock market. They may still have 10, 20, 30% of their money in the market, but they, they need a consistent, you know, monthly income that, that doesn't depend on that volatility. So, um, so I agree. I agree. Yeah. And we're on the same page. And just to take that one step further, you know, the saying is the checks in the mail. And, and I know you, you, you're very familiar with this, this, this phrase, um, that's what real estate gives you. Um, but the difference I see between real estate and paper assets like securities is, is one you are with stocks, you're, you're going along for the ride and hoping for capital appreciation. There is, there's, there's typically no cash flow. Um, I mean, there's ways around that, but generally speaking, it's, it's a capital gain and you're hoping that the value goes up. Uh, whereas with real estate, you can get capital gains over time that equity builds, but you get income, you get cash flow from day one and every month thereafter. So to me, that's, that's a huge differentiator. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I appreciate the, the billions and trillions of dollars and the, the people in the nice offices. It was so funny. My, my dad sent me, uh, you know, took me to his financial planner one time and, you know, sat in a nice parking lot and the nice lady offered us coffee and we sat in the nice leather seats and, uh, and he, and he, and he brought me aside and he said, you know, who pays for all this? I do son, you know, in my fees and all my, my other things. <laughs> so, you know, we're all grown ups here. We, we know that we pay fees and, and, and things like that. And, and of course we don't want to begrudge a professional, his or her fees. I get that. But also is why don't these investment professionals introduce us or our parents or whoever they may be to different types of paper assets. And the answer of course, is they're not in the food chain. They're not in the commercial or in the, in the commission structure rather of that. And so I can see where selfishly it's not in their better interest. And I get that business is business, but that said is we've got to take care of our friends and family. And, and so when someone comes up to me and wants to, you know, say, Hey, listen, I might be retiring in the next, you know, five or 10 years, or I've got two or three kids and I, I make X, what do I do? I say, well, you know, with the mortgage rates where they're at right now and with what the tenants are paying, you can get an excellent, excellent rate of return leveraged with a mortgage and and uh, not have a whole lot of risk. And so, yes, I, I echo those thoughts. Well, Indianapolis is somewhere around the 12th or 14th largest city in the U.S. You can correct me on these numbers. Uh, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. And and as I understand it, about 65% of the entire U.S. population lives within a 700-mile radius of the city. You got it. Um, and I don't remember who ranked this, but I, I remember reading in the past that Indy was ranked as one of the cleanest and safest cities in the country. I don't know how they measure that, you know, quantify that, but it's still a good accolade. Correct. So, you know, it begs the question, why invest in Indianapolis at a high level what what would you tell people? Why should they be investing in the city of Indianapolis? Well, previously, Marco, when I would do investments, I would I would try to make excuses or reasons or do my do my uh, pros and cons. So I would uh, I would do you know you know so I could go make money somewhere, whether it's a stock or whether it's whatever it may be. Now that I'm a little bit older and I have some experience, is now what you really want to do, as Warren Buffett would say, is the number one rule of money is not to lose money. Um, now of course, the second rule of money is don't forget rule number one is what what factors in your in your real estate investing, specifically in Indianapolis, will I don't want to say ensure against loss. I don't want to be as arrogant as to say that necessarily, 
But what external factors are there so that I can I can essentially not lose money? So one of the things that I was always taught is you want to invest in a capital city. And 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 some, one of the main reasons is local and, and state and government tax money uh, revenue will always flow seemingly into the into the capital city of the of the state. Number two is even though we don't really invest in college housing per se, is we want to invest in in uh, real estate that has some nearby universities or colleges, so that in in good times we do well, and even in in recessionary periods of time. Um, you know, the kids proverbially will move back in with the parents and go back to school. Um, and, and same thing. We've, I think, I think the last count is 20 or 30 universities or campuses, buildings and, 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 and different campuses nearby. So we're, it's not unusual for us to, uh, you know, rent to a graduate student every now and again. And lastly is we're looking for a diverse economic base. So we don't want a, a maybe a coastal city or maybe a, an automotive, you know, city, if you will. So in, in the Indianapolis area, I'm going to have to admit it. It's a little bit boring. We've got things like, uh, you know, Eli Lilly and Rolls Royce and State Farm and a, and a lot of logistical based companies, as you're right, within a one day's drive is two thirds of the American population. So you got a lot of external factors there. And also in the 50s, 60s and 70s and 80s, as as the real estate that we buy, even in we have a lot of, you know, 2000 newer construction is there was no real reason to do a multi-unit as the land was very inexpensive. And with our with our traffic system, it's very, you know, the, a commute downtown and most of our properties is less than 30 minutes. So it's very easy to get around. And so not only do we have a diverse economic base, the cost of real estate is inexpensive. The crime is low. The cash flow is excellent. It's in a great tax uh, uh, advantaged area and it's very landlord friendly. So you'll always find Indianapolis to come up on a top 10 list usually of savvy and uh, you know investment uh, uh, you know reports or advisors sure the diverse economy part is i think very important to us and this is one thing i really like about the markets we're in particularly indianapolis you know it, you've got a broad field or spectrum of sectors manufacturing distribution education healthcare, finance and in indy you know you've got various things like major sporting events and you have a lot of conventions there it's not just las vegas sure so absolutely yeah, so that you know that that broad spectrum is very important to keep that stability within the market. So a boring market is is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Right. Um, you know, I get concerned when the price of oil drops below thirty dollars for for cities like Houston, Texas, or Calgary, Canada, which is just getting hammered right now in terms of you know its economy. Um, but yeah, those are those are all very good very good points. So economically speaking, I don't know if you could touch upon this um, or what you, you you can say, but uh, you know, the indie market is is a very large export market, which actually was a surprise to me. I didn't realize that, you know, there was a, a large manufacturing base in Indy. Um, I know back in 2013, it was ranked uh, the 20th, 20th largest export market in the U.S. So I don't know, I, that kind of caught me by surprise. But, you know, what can you say economically about this market? Well, economically, is we we've always been a a city that is that is well below as far as unemployment numbers. We're well below, um, you know the the you know the national average. What we're finding is, um, you know, you know, I'm a bit of a marketing guy. Um, so what I do is I'll produce a, a an excellent excellent product, and then when we get tenants that apply for our properties, a lot of them have very you know very healthy incomes. 
they're, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, $80,000. We just had a pilot come in, makes a hundred thousand dollars relocated and moved into one of our rentals. So, so it's not unusual for us to have, uh, now, now we don't get, of course, a whole lot of people that are, you know, half million dollar income earners, but then again, they probably wouldn't rent. We have just a lot of, a, a great pool of renters to pull from. And as far as the economy is concerned there, it seems that the jobs are very, very plentiful. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a very, very positive environment for, for people, uh, whether they're in, and you're right. A lot of those different, uh, environments from engineering to logistics to whatever, you know, whatever you, whatever may have you. Yeah. And, and you know, the city has four major interstate highways, uh, six railroads, you know, you've got an international airport. So I, I, I don't know if you would call Indianapolis a major logistical hub, um, you know, like Memphis would be, or even Kansas City, but it sounds like it is a fairly major um, crossroads for uh, sure. for transport. Well, perfect example is in, um, let's see, where are we? Uh, just a f- several, just a handful of years ago, is that we just spent, I want to say it was $1.1 or $1.2 billion on a new airport. And so we, I think we sold the old one to either a FedEx or an Airborne Express or something like that. And we just, you know, we just started laying, laying new runways, et cetera, et cetera. We just urban crawled one, one, blo- one block, if you will, you know, to the West. And when investors will fly in to take a look at, you know, properties, they say, oh my gosh, this is not just, uh, you know, new TV screens and new HD TV screens like you do when you, you know, get to Honolulu or something. This is a brand spanking new airport. And it's it, the land was very very inexpensive out here, and so yes, I would say that it's a uh, it, it is it's known as the crossroads, and and in fact, if you if you you know it's the exact center of the United States. So as you get you know more west of the Mississippi, of course, our population density as a country gets less and less, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about housing there. Um, one interesting. Um, and notable fact about Indy is it, it has been the, one of the most stable real estate markets in the U.S. through the last ten years and through the last recession. Um, you know that that market has declined less than seven percent as a whole. You know this this will vary from suburb and neighborhood, but but it's a very stable market. It's what we call a linear market. It's very flat and boring, but but over time, you know, it keeps up with inflation, and that's what you want it to do. Um, but India is always in the top 10 for the most affordable cities. And I know a few years ago, Forbes ranked it the fourth most affordable city, which, you know, says a lot, but the most interesting, um, ranking or, or a note made about the indie market is it was in the top three markets. At least this is in the words of the wall street journal, but they ranked Indianapolis as one of the top three markets for single-family rental properties, and that's you know that's a pretty major compliment, if you will, from the Wall Street Journal. So, talk to us about the housing market there. Well, the housing market is 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 very strong, and and you, you know there's a after after doing our first probably about a hundred or so rentals, you know we learned a lot. We learned a lot as far as our rehab is concerned, our marketing, our our tenant, our underwriting, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now is as we've you know gone to 200, 300, 400 now uh, homes that we have bought and, and rehabbed. Um, you know, we 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 will take everything and we will reverse engineer our acquisitions um, to the schools. Uh, we buy only in areas that have you know good schools because we're looking for that that certain demographic of of tenant. And so we know that if we have a vacancy in these areas, we know what is the that the the, the 
the, you know, the demographic or the genre of the, of the tenant that would apply for that type of house. So we are getting some excellent, excellent tenants. Now that said, we do have a very, very good product. So, so we do spend more money. We, we do spend a little bit more money than our uh, either competitors or, 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 you know, maybe some smaller operations just because I'm looking for my investor to have a, a, a good experience as far as a low maintenance experience. So if I need to put in new flooring or a roof or air conditioner or, you know, a furnace or water, you know, I, I don't want to say I spare no expense to sound like you're getting, you know, gold plated faucets, but you're getting a solid, solid unit. So people have a really, really great experience. And the, the, when people see a little bit better quality rehab, uh, they, they, they have no problem signing a multi-year lease and, and, and our maintenance staff is, is on top of things. So we, uh, we respond to their maintenance concerns quickly and we expect them to pay rent uh, on time as well. Yeah. And so that, that, uh, relationship of respect has proven to, to, to be very, very fruitful for our, ourselves and, and our investors. So I'm going to ask you about, uh, you know, a typical investment property here in a minute, but you, sure. you mentioned the rent, uh, rental market and tenants a few times. So that's a good segue. Let's drill down into the rental market for, for a minute. Um, one thing I like about in Indianapolis, um, or Indiana for that matter is, is the landlord friendly state. And that to me is huge because if you have to have an eviction, you want that to be as smooth and frictionless as possible. Sure. Um, and you know, the national average of um, renters versus homeowners is somewhere around 35, 34% right now. Indianapolis, at least the last statistic I read, uh, said that Indy has um, a rental pool of 42%. So 42% of the population are made up of renters, which is great. You know, you've got a large pool of, of renters. Um, talk to us about, you know, the rental market, the quality of tenants, um, what people can expect about, you know, uh, renters and rentals there. So your your question is to ask them about the quality of the rentals and what they can expect. Yeah, and the rental market, the size, the the, the types of tenants um, or demographics of those ten tenants that we're targeting, at least that you're targeting. Sure. Well, what we what we found is is that the the investors that invest we. We want to bear the risk uh, prior to them getting involved with with leasing. Meaning, if you know, we'll acquire the house, we'll rehab the house, and and get a, a quality tenant in place usually before the, the the investor takes over. And what would be an example? Really, we have we have two different products in Indianapolis. We have a product that's a little bit more appropriate for financing, and we'll get drilled down into that in a little bit. And then we also have a product that's a little bit better for a cash purchase. We have probably about. 30 or 40% of our business is IRA or Roth IRA, uh, 401k type businesses where they'll just buy the property outright with no leverage or no mortgage and just enjoy that. And what will you find? You'll find, um, you know, uh, families. We have, um, in fact, we get a, a, we have a, we have a several uh, a bilingual gals, uh, uh, Latin gals in our office, and we uh, cater to a, a Latin marketplace to a certain extent mm -hmm. because the work ethic is, is superb. Um, so a, a family of four with a couple kids and a, and a nice solid multi-year income. Um, many many of our tenants, to be honest, Marco, I don't even hear from. I'm just happy that the rent keeps coming in, and every now and again they ask if they can put up a fence or do some gardening. And I said, knock yourself out. <laughs> you know, we've got some. I've had some tenants for eight or nine years. I don't even. I, I hardly remember who they are, and and they they just think it's their home. It's wonderful. So we we enjoy a great great relationship with our tenants, but keep in mind we're a family owned and operated business. 
all these homes start in our own personal portfolio before an investor gets them. So my staff doesn't know if I own it or my mom or my sister or you or one of our one of our clients. It's all treated as a as a as a pool of of homes that that our our family owned and operated business run. So interesting. And what have rental rates been doing over the last few years? I know rents have been going up. What are they doing right now? Absolutely, like you said, keep up with inflation. Um, we are we do everything so the investor's happy and it performs. So in some areas, um, yes, we can raise rents. You know, a, a small percentage, like a you know a, a two to five, you know four percent annualized. On some areas, we realize that you know we're we're at the ceiling. We don't want to. Could I rent it for more and could the tenant bounce in a year? Sure. I, I'd rather have the investor have consistent monthly income. So. There is some elasticity in some areas and in some areas at uh, you know anything above, say, about $1,200, $1,300, $1,400 a month, you're getting into somebody who doesn't really need to rent anymore. They can buy. And so I, I hesitate to raise rents in that area. That's why I don't have a lot of rentals that are that high on a monthly basis. Um, so no, rentals are, are solid um, and, and we will raise rents uh, appropriately as long as it doesn't affect the, you know, the, the lease or the, the vacancy rate. Yeah. Interesting point. What what's the low end of the rental market there? Is it like 800, 7800? Yeah, we're at right about 700 to 750 would be the, our our low end. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. So, um let's let's talk about the uh a typical property. Describe what a typical investment property is and looks like. Um and, and from a numbers perspective too, you know, a, a lot of our listeners think about things at a high level from a rent um, a rent to value and RV ratio perspective but you know that's not the be all end all at the end of the day it's the cash on cash return and the cash flow that's ge- being generated every month and every year you've got it you've got it so on a high level um, a lot of your listeners uh, Marco and you've you, you know hun- I don't even know how many hundreds and hundreds of clients you have but they do enjoy a lot of leverage meaning that a lot of the uh, business that we do um, we we of course have no problem financing our real estate, and in a in a in a scenario like that, you're looking at a fairly like a like a ninety to maybe a hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollar purchase price uh, in that range somewhere maybe on the low end eighty five and on the high end maybe one twenty five, and you're looking at usually rental gross rental rates and anywhere between twelve to fourteen percent gross rent over purchase price, um, and so those would be some gross numbers. As you dial that down, our our insurance. Another reason why why people like that area. To echo your thoughts, it's very landlord friendly. Number one, and number two, there are no natural disasters in our area. You don't find any storms or any expensive insurance area. So the insurance is very inexpensive. Say, you know, four fifty to six hundred dollars a year type thing guesstimate, and the taxes are also very inexpensive. Um, uh, the taxes, uh, you know, will be quoted per property, but they also uh, max out at a 2% of the tax assessed value. So let's say, uh, for example, we did a new build project. We built a 70 new homes. They were sold to investors at about $105,000 to $109,000, and they were tax assessed around eighty dollars to $85,000, I believe. And so those are some examples there. And then, um, and then uh, uh, so when the, when the numbers flush out, we're finding our, our, our investors, uh, you know, back of the napkin are making, you know, say, the goal would be say two to four hundred dollars a month in a positive cash flow scenario on a thirty-year mortgage. Maybe a little bit less on a fifteen-year mortgage. Um, we have a uh, our, we we carry about a nine percent property management rate. But I hope that 
a lot of your investors are pretty savvy, so they understand their numbers. Now that said, the properties will do very well, very well, but more importantly, the property management will be on top of it to answer concerns and keep leases renewed. So our goal is not to just rent a property for, for two years. Our goal is to rent it for eight years or 10 years and have very, very low maintenance. So you combine a good solid property with a solid rehab on top of a management team that stays on the properties. And that's why we have a lot of repeat business. Yeah. Okay. Well said. And I know a lot of your properties are typically in the range of B, B plus, A minus, and A grade neighborhoods, at least from you know the the information and demographics we're pulling up. Um, I think yep. that's pretty consistent with the you know a B neighborhood being the low end of what you what you're turning over, what you're producing. Well, it's it's just on performance. You might look at a in in my experience, you might look at a C or C plus neighborhood. And you might think, oh my gosh, look at me, I'm I'm be, I'm making 20% of my money. Uh, not really, buddy. You know, after you go ahead and you 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 pencil that out after a year or two or three, your turn cost on those and your vacancy rate and your and your and your I'm going to make up a new new category called headache rate or or something like that. It's just it's just too much. So if I'm going to go re remember my litmus test, you know, I treat investors and clients like I wish someone would treat my widowed mother. So. <laughs> It's just it's just not in your best interest to buy in in my area for performance to buy that C C real estate it just doesn't pencil as well. Yeah, and and you know what? Over the years, over the last twelve plus years, we've moved away from the C C plus type neighbors. We'd never had a lot of them to begin with, but you you hit the nail on the head. You know the numbers on paper look incredibly attractive, um, but at the end of the year or at the end of the first few years, when you look back, the turn costs have eaten up that extra return and that extra cash flow you were expecting to get off of the pro forma. And so what you end up with is something that's going to be similar to buying a B or A grade neighborhood property in the first place with less headache. Right. Right. And if you think about it is when you say turn costs, it's perfect because you're looking for, for, you know, top, top rent. Well, I can't get top rent unless the property is in top shape. So I can't have dirty carpet in your rental uh, because it's not going to get top rate. Right. So I, so I, so you have to spend the money to get that property. That's one of the reasons we have hard surface floors and we don't do car anymore, but regardless is we have to keep that, pro you know, otherwise we're going to get a less than a less than market rate. If you, if you do a less than, you know, a less than average uh, turn on the property. So that's a great bonus, you know, as far as how I look at this, you guys are putting in hardwood. Well, not, I shouldn't say it's hardwood. It's probably a synthetic material, but you're putting hard floors, um, in, instead of carpet. And that's the one thing that seems to need to be cleaned or replaced every time you have a turnover. And, and you know, that starts to add up. I mean, having hard floors is such a cost saving. It's, it's such a smart idea. It's expensive on the way into the investor. I mean, I spend, you don't even know what I, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands a year, but it's what I would want, you know, uh, and it, and it works out real well. And, and you know what, you throw down some, the, the, the tenant long, you know, after they get used to it, they don't mind it at all. They they really don't. And and so when the investor gets a, a fraction of the of the turn cost versus laying brand new carpet, and this just comes from experience. I bought I bought semi trucks full of of chocolate brown commercial grade carpet, and the, and the cheapest pad I could find, and it just doesn't it doesn't work as well as a, a hard surface soft flooring. You're right. Um, and you know just just to complement what you're doing, we have clients that have bought many of your properties and they're all very happy. They, they have good things to say about, you know, working with you and the experience and the quality of the product. Um, many want to come back and buy more over the course of the year. 
Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of positive feedback we get from your particular product and, you know, that's why we work with you. So, well, thanks, but it's, it's not, it's so funny as to in today's day and age where everyone wants to cut corners and, and, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, not pay what's, you know, you just do what's right. You know, you just take care of people. You do what's right. And every now and again, it's, it's not going to work out every now and again, something's, you're going to miss something. And in my experience, my business is big enough. You just take care of people. And, uh, you know, what goes around comes around and it, and it seems to be working out real, real well. It's not, it's not perfect. There's tenants there every now and again, they, you know, they put in the, uh, in the insincorator, you know, in the, in the sink and you have to snake a drain, but when it's all said and done, you just take care of people. You respond quickly if there's a concern and you're transparent in your accounting and it, it, it seems to pay, pay dividends to, you know, to, to our clients and, and, and to our company. Yeah. Well said. So is there anything else you want to add or anything else I should have asked you about that I didn't? Well, um, just sure. In, in closing, uh, on, a, on a specific underwriting uh, uh, you know, thing that I kind of speak about in my seminars is, is you want to get started now. Uh, and, and here's what that means is if you're buying with a finance uh, you know, opportunity is right now your first one will you know, feel like you know, be you know, butterflies in your stomach per se. But but then keep this in mind is your your underwriter or your mortgage banker will likely say something like this is after two years of, of, of experience in rental real estate, they're able to use a good portion of your rental income to go against your mortgage, your mortgage payment. So unless you have that experience on your tax returns, it'll affect your DTI or debt to income ratio. So once you have one down, if you will, your first property down or, uh, you know, go, you know, then it's easier and easier to get properties two, three, four and five. Or what I say sometimes is basically race to your first four, because if we're going to back of the napkin, look at $250 a month and positive cash on your first four. Well, then every month we're making a grand follow with me four times 250 is a grand. And then every two years, which would be, let's just say, 24 grand, we've got enough money saved up to go ahead and put down payment on property number five. And then in, you know, 1.78 years, we have enough down payment for property number six, et cetera, et cetera. So once you, you know, race to number one, then race to number four, and then a lot of people will build their 10, 10 house portfolios, and that's how you do it. You just, you just got to get started. Yeah, it compounds on itself. You got it. You got it. Yeah, great advice. All right. Well, that's fantastic. Michael, great information. Um, I think this clarifies a lot about the indie market for people. And if anybody is listening to this and they're sitting on the fence trying to think about indie as a potential market, hopefully this will help them, uh, you know, take a step forward and, and maybe call one of our investment counselors to get more information. Uh, we can provide all kinds of information. If if there's anything that we can't provide, we're going to put them in touch with you. Um, sure. So, um, great. I, you know, I appreciate your time today. This has been helpful. I will uh, get this posted as soon as possible. And uh, again, thank you for your time today. Absolutely, Marco. It's a pleasure to be a part of your team. And with you too. Thanks, Michael. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. 
That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.